0: This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newport, Massachusetts. As you turn to our second reading, Luke 14, beginning with verse 25, it's found on page 67 of the Pew Bible. We are in... A series where we are looking at the kingdom of God and we don't hear much of that word kingdom but just as a review kingdom is where you get to say and do what you want and it's done it's a sphere in which you get to operate some have a kingdom and it's confined to the car or a yard, or a desk, or a cubicle. It's where your will is done. The kingdom of God is wherever God's will is done, and where everything that happens meets with God's delight and approval. This kingdom exists now, and this is the good news that Jesus preached. Our questions today center around Who gets in, and how do you enter the kingdom? So our first text was John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Our second reading is Luke 14, beginning with verse 25. Now large crowds were traveling with him. And Jesus turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to wage war against another king, will not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000. If he cannot, then while the other is still far for the terms of peace. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you spoke words to the many, but you're speaking them today, and we ask that you would allow us to be undefended, Do be open, so that your word may be so heard that we realize that you're speaking to us, and that it is a word of blessing and freedom and life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay who gets into the kingdom of God. Most major attractions require a ticket. Last attractions require a ticket. Last Sunday, following our luncheon, I went with Jim and Hunter into Boston to Fenway Park, and we got in on the season, the last game of the season. We sat 15 rows up from home plate, but it was not because I paid for those seats. You see, I have a clergy pass, and it allows me to buy really cheap tickets for standing room only. And those poor seats were empty. And so we just found our way there, and we got in for a minimum. I paid the minimum, And we had really good seats. So what is the minimum requirement to enter the kingdom of God? Who cares? Do you remember the movie Monty Python and the Holy Grail? Okay, maybe your kids do. Well, it's the story of spoof of King Arthur and his knights They are searching for the Holy Grail. They finally, in the climax of the movie, arrive at the castle. And it has been the goal of the whole movie. But what separates them from the castle is a steep ravine that leads to an abyss, a dark abyss, bottomless And the only thing that connects them is a rickety, swinging bridge guarded by a grisly old man. Permission to cross the bridge requires each knight, including King Arthur, to correctly answer three questions. If one of them is wrong, immediately, immediately, that person is flung into the bottomless abyss. All right. What is the minimum requirement to enter the kingdom of God. Who can enter? What does it cost? These are the questions that our two texts speak to. So going to John 3, 1 through 8. The context is that a Pharisee named Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. He does not want to be seen by his peers Apparently, they may misunderstood, misunderstand his intentions. What he has heard Jesus say has rattled him. It has shaken his fundamental understanding of how to be rightly related to God. Now his faith is thrown into doubt. He is uncertain, and he wants a private, uninterrupted conversation. Therefore, he comes to Jesus at night. He begins with what he knows. Hear this. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. How does Jesus respond? Well, thank you for noticing. No. Jesus immediately gives to Nicodemus what he desperately wants to know which is the minimum requirement to enter the kingdom. What does Jesus say? Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Very truly. That's what our English translation says. In the original, it's amen, amen, which is an idiom in the Hebrew for rock rock. Jesus is saying this is rock solid truth I'm about to tell you. I don't know how you preface whatever word you want to say when you're trying to convince another person that what you're about to tell them, as amazing as it sounds, is really true. Some people say "I, I swear with my hand on the Bible. Some people say I cross my heart and hope to die. Stick a needle in my eye. I don't know what your preface is when you really want to say something of great gravity, but that's what Jesus is doing. He's giving Nicodemus the essential, fundamental requirement for anyone who wants to enter the kingdom. Very truly, I tell you, if you are born from above, You, no one can enter the kingdom of God. From above, born again, that's what some translations say. Which is it? The 39th president, Jimmy Carter, made famous that phrase, born again. He was a born again Christian. Chuck Colson, who was known in Nixon's administration as the hatchet man, had a conversion experience while serving time in prison for his role in the Watergate scandal. And from that experience, Colson wrote his best-selling book, Born Again. George Whitfield, I'm pointing down below, George Whitfield, everywhere he preached all those decades, preached on the necessity of the new, necessity of the new birth. Born again, born from above, What does it mean? Well, the same word, if you have your text open in John, is found in verse 31. Jesus says, the one who comes from above is above all. The one who's of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks of earthly things. Above. The word is above, which is meant for heaven. It's meant for where the will of God is done, where the reign of God is exerted. God is a spiritual being. Jesus says we must have a spiritual birth. Now every one of us has a birthday. I know it's Pat Finning Paul's, who has a birthday today. And it, Matthew Zeller had one this week, and we had Carmen Deans on Sunday, and Charlotte Zeller last Sunday, and Rick Sanford the Friday before. Everyone has a birthday. What Jesus says is that we must have a new birthday, a birth that comes from God. It's from above, it's supernatural, it is not based on our DNA. It's not based on our upbringing or our manners or our education or lack thereof. It is of God. And that's how we can see and enter the kingdom. The word that's used for this is regeneration. God regenerates us. Now, it's not something we do any more than we willed ourselves to be That was not our will. We just are. It's the same, which is why Jesus says, it's like the wind that blows. You do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. God is the source of our regeneration. God wants to be with you forever. He wants you to live with him now, and for eternity, he wants you to see his face. He wants you to know his love. Therefore, you must be born from above. Are you regenerated, or are you in the birth canal, where there's a lot of discomfort, even pain, unbearable pressure with life as experiencing the beginning? of a new birth. Let's talk about being born. Before I went to seminary, I practiced nursing for 20 years as a registered nurse, and some of those years in labor and delivery. I taught prepared childbirth classes before I was pregnant and gave birth to our son. I taught the standard line that labor is not painful, it's just hard work. That's why they call it labor. Labor is tolerable if you use the right breathing uh, techniques. That's what I taught before I went into labor. And the first words out of my mouth were, somebody lied. Why does Jesus say we must be born? Born. Born. Because there's an entire world of difference between the life of the born and the unborn. Think about it. Is there any human experience that is as great a difference as living outside the womb and living inside the womb? It's a life-altering reality. Who would trade it? Actually, I did hear a woman say that she would trade it if it was a womb with a view. (laughs) Nicodemus, he hears that he must have a spiritual birth. Birth is the minimum requirement to see and enter the kingdom of God. Have you had this new birth? Your part is to desire it. To desire to get out of the confined, entombed life you've always known, and a willingness to receive God's face, the most lovable being in all reality. Do you desire this? Are you willing to receive birth from above? Nicodemus is not. John's gospel traces him from the beginning of Jesus' ministry to the end. We see him again in John 7, verse 50, where Nicodemus, part of the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, timidly raises his hand and says, "Um, Are you sure we should kill him before we at least have a trial to find out what he's saying? Nicodemus is shot down. They accuse him of being they accuse him of being a follower. And we hear nothing more. Until after Jesus' crucifixion, John 19, we hear Joseph of Arimathea, he goes before Pilate and requests the body. That was risky. It says that Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, though one in secret. As soon as he has the body out from the shadows comes Nicodemus, bringing a hundred pounds of spices in which to wrap Jesus' body. Nicodemus was wealthy, but was he born from above? Did he enter the kingdom of God, or did he resist, wanting instead a womb with a view? Let's now go to our passage in Luke 14. We're answering the question, Who large crowds are following Jesus as he makes his way to Jerusalem. People enjoyed Jesus. He really was popular. The crowds are fans. They are not followers. They are not disciples. They're religiously-minded fans. Today in Salt Lake City, Utah, the rapper Kanye West, husband of Kim Kardashian, whose physical contours the world knows, thanks to media, Kanye is hosting one of his Sunday services. Beginning on Easter of this year, he has been offering Sunday services and today, 70,000 are expected to attend. 70,000 are expected to attend. Kanye has found a way to square his view of Christian faith with hedonism, the pursuit of pleasure, sensual self indulgence. According to Kanye, this is what they do in the Sunday service. He is crowned. King of Kings, and he names God as a supporting actor. Kanye has thousands of religiously-minded fans. Jesus has thousands of fans. So in the parade-like atmosphere, the crowd is oblivious to any cost to themselves, any cross they must bear what does jesus say to his what does jesus say to his friends essentially he says if you want to come with me you must decide to make me your highest loyalty any allegiance you hold higher than me must be given up even if this allegiance is to yourself people stumble over the word hate in verse 26. It is a Semitic expression that means to turn away from, to detach oneself from something or someone. When we hear the word hate, we interpret that emotional charge of vengeance, and anger. It has none of that meaning in this text. In growing together, following worship, we will unpack this whole text, and I invite you to do that with your questions. But Jesus tells us who it is who can't, who cannot enter the kingdom of God, not fans, only disciples of Jesus Disciples are those who are grasped with this life altering reality of new birth. It places them in an interactive life with the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, now and forever. Now, three times in three different verses, we hear this refrain Whoever does not, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not, cannot be my disciple. Now we understand this principle. If you want to go through TSA at the airport security line, you can, cannot carry liquids or gels in greater than 3-ounce containers. You cannot do it. If you want to board the plane, you cannot have more than two carry-on items. Though you try to reason and plead why you should, if you try to stuff it and hide it, you cannot get on. Jesus clarifies for us what cannot be done. If any one or anything has first place in our life other than Jesus, it is impossible to be his disciple. It can't be done. Dallas Willard illustrates it this way. It's like the mathematics teacher in high school who might say to a student, verily, verily, I say to thee, except thou canst do decimals and fractions, thou can." It's not that the teacher will not allow you to do algebra because you are a bad person. You just won't be able to do basic algebra if you do not have command of decimals and fractions. The same way Jesus tells his fans if you want to be my disciple, you cannot put your family first. You cannot put your career first, or your possessions, or your recreation. You can't even put yourself first if you want to be my disciple. Where are you? Are you a follower? who's entered the kingdom of God, or are you a fan? Or you are perhaps on the fence. Maybe we need to look at the cost. the cost. The price for entering the kingdom of God is handing over the rule of your life to God. You cease to be Lord of your own life. Your regeneration is because God wants you to be born. Your conversion is because you decide that you want Jesus as first place, and you give up anything that's held that position. It may sound like an extravagant cost, something that we are not willing to pay. But those who decide to pay Discover that their life is not destroyed by God's life; it is instead fulfilled by it, and in it alone. What does entering the kingdom of God cost God? The cost to God is His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. And that's what this table is about. God overcame our evil and the evil that we see all around us by taking the condemnation of evil upon himself. He didn't overcome evil by refusing to punish it. He instead accepted our punishment upon himself. He instead accepted our punishment upon himself. It cost God everything. And through faith in him and his suffering love, we can be born from above. We can enter the kingdom of God as redeemed people who follow him in an interactive life as his disciples. His good news. Do you believe it can happen? Do you believe that the kingdom of God is now available, starting with you? Is this your birthday? Let's pray. Lord help help us in our belief and in our unbelief. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.